0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. It is excellent indeed to not so excellent actually, you know, it's one of those things you have to say. But honestly, if you ask me right now, I'm a little bummed out and a little upset. Um, And I don't know how to feel about this, you know, because just a few hours back, I was sitting outside having a smoke and um, so we live in a building on the fourth floor and we have these windows like most buildings do. And Till, till a few few months back, we had these reflectors on the railing, which I didn't understand how important they were. And someone took them off. I don't know who. I think someone was maintenance. They were cleaning. They took it off. And so this evening, a few hours back, I was having a smoke. And suddenly I had this huge thud. And I couldn't tell what it was initially. So I called someone from inside. And apparently this parrot had flown straight into the window. And, you know, sadly didn't make it. And, you know, of course, someone's like, it's just a bird but i don't know what i'm feeling about it man it's kind of one part of me is like you know what it's really really sad that this free flying bird um lost its bearings and kind of flew into a building which um had this window which was transparent but it wasn't that transparent like in the sense that the curtains were closed i don't know what was going on with this this poor thing because it was a full-on hit, right? It wasn't like, oh, you know, let me peek into the room kind of thing. It was just this f- huge noise. And, you know, I, I'm very scared of birds or handling birds. I've never been good with, besides dogs and cats and and cows and horses and animals I can see, uh, small things like bugs and birds, they kind of terrify me, freak me out. Uh, probably shouldn't be telling you all this because then someone might just pull, pull a prank on me. But, hey, I'm laying myself bare. But I feel really sad. I feel really like, oh, this really sucks for that bird. But, I don't know, sometimes, you know, when you're kind of anticipating a lot of these things, as human beings, we do, we're extra cautious about not walking uh, across the road. We're We're extra cautious about everything we do, right? We kind of, but, I don't know, this bird was just chilling. He's doing what his bird thing was doing. He was just, and did he have all these thoughts of like, one day I might fly into a building? I don't think so. And that's an interesting way of living. And that's something that um, may be liberating in its in its own kind of lesson. But it was, yeah, just a bit of a bummer to kind of see that happen or hear that happening in front of me. Um, and, you know, it, yeah, it's just one of those reminders that, you know, you can't um, hold on to stuff and you can't, plan for too much stuff and fear too much stuff i anticipate too many things because this thing can just happen to anyone or any any person any being any bird oh uh, so yeah didn't mean to start the episode on that note but i just wanted to put that out there because i'm definitely bummed out and uh yeah just sitting here alone because you know my wife and daughter are traveling and one of those things which i'm just like oh that that kind of yeah this I don't know, I've just been grappling with this idea of being alone, right? And I wouldn't call it loneliness because um, we kind of try to avoid being feeling lonely by kind of associated and immersing ourself, uh, um, ourselves amongst a lot of people and a lot of activities and a lot of um, these environments where there's a lot of distraction. But I think being alone actually is a great thing if you're able to kind of cope or rather face what, that experience uh, presents to you because there are so many kind of um, realizations, reflections and possibilities that you can discover about yourself when you're alone without the alone quotes, which we are kind of told that we are good at because I'm not really alone because I have so many things at my disposal, I have access to information, I have access to entertainment, I have access to conversations, I have access to so many possibilities and Um, that isn't being alone because I technically I'm sitting alone in a room and doing this right now or before this I was checking some messages or sending out some emails or I was listening to music or reading a book but that's not truly being alone because I feel I haven't really been alone with my thoughts uh, I think for more than 20-30 minutes at a stretch because then you kind of get uncomfortable with that you kind of like ah oh, now it's it's whether it's you know you, you, if, if you can you can daydream and i think i don't know if that's considered being alone because then you escape into fantasy or you build into a certain storyline and if the storyline's good and if the fantasy kind of thing you're like if this happens that happens and but just like that that fantasy can go uh, in a downward spiral but that that in itself i think is being alone but i think in a, in a, in a, in a 16 hour or in um longer day if you're awake i don't know how truly alone we allow ourselves to be and i don't know what that can create for us i don't know what that can create for me i don't know what it will present to me about myself or about what i am and who i want to be and what i've done Because a lot of times we get stuck with the uncomfortable thoughts the regrets the past and that's no fun as we all know but can we go past that to a place of just acknowledging what's being presented to us um accepting what's being um what's what, what's happened what's happening and kind of just get to the next stage because i haven't got that next stage and maybe a uh, glimpses of that i've seen sometimes when for a microsecond my mind is still and yeah let's let's be honest because i try to wake up in the morning and just sit alone and sit with my thoughts for a few minutes. Maybe, you know, uh, there are different kind of breath exercises. All of you have access to, you know, apps. And there are different things that each of us do which works for us, whether it's chanting, whether it's music, whether it's silence, whether it's breath work, whatever you want to call it, guided meditation. But it's very interesting how if we kind of pack even that experience with too many activities, then you kind of forget why you're doing that. And there are sometimes now I just find... You know, without too much pressure on myself, just a few moments if I get in 10 minutes or 15 minutes of sitting down um, with my thoughts where there's this one second of like, oh, mm, nice. And then you to are hold on to it and the fucker disappears. The it disappears and again, you're like, oh, I want to pursue that. I want to pursue that one second of silence and that one second of clarity and that one second of non-judgment and the one second of not having these thoughts about others or thoughts about myself or thoughts about what I've done or what I, what I should have done and how I could have done it better. And then, oh, that's it. And before you can acknowledge that one second of peace or whatever you want to call it, it's gone. And again, you want to chase it. It's, it's pretty fucking fantastic. And then... You think about that and then you think about the people who talk about hours and years and caves where they just are ultimate bliss and they've gone past the material consciousness and the senses and they've seen the stillness within and the true conscious and the true soul. And you're like, oh, you son of a bitch, maybe you're lying to us. Who knows? There are people who have experienced that. But I think, you know, just a second of that is great because that's one second of that gives you enough strength to kind of face the entire day. In, In fact, sometimes more than just a day, more than a week, whatever it may be. And yeah, so yeah, I just wanted to put that out there because I feel the days I don't do that and I go and read, uh, say, the top news stories and of course, if you follow following the news, you know, it's, it's literally a drone attack in Moscow or you read about a rape in Manipur or you read about violence in Haryana or you read about an, another kind of scam or another kind of um, sexual abuse story or you hear about another... Um, Climate event, which is kind of disastrous. So, you read another coup in a country. I'm just trying to give you a synopsis of today's news. And then you read about another corrupt politician kind of getting away with it. Then you hear about another genocide. You hear about other cults. So, it just really throws you all over the place, man. It just really fucks with your day. It fucks with the way you look at life, the way you look at humanity, and the way you kind of look at fellow beings and saying, Is this what we've come to? But if that one second can give you that strength, why can't we kind of work on that and make it make it a part of our day and kind of at least get some semblance of balance with which we face the world. So it's it's something which is very, very interesting. And I'm really, really glad that I'm able to even make that a part of my day because a lot of times we can't, right? We just have to hit the hit the road running. But I think if uh if anything I'm grateful for which I've incorporated or if you want to call it I want to make it a part of my daily routine, it's this. Uh, because it just gives me um, a sense of taking stock of who I am, what I'm feeling, uh, why I'm feeling like that, um, run through the, the rinse cycle of thoughts, let it kind of just have its way with me uh, for those few minutes. And then whatever may be the, the exercise, you know, if, it's, if if you're doing pranayama, you're doing kapalabhati, I think the, the body kind of takes those inputs and kind of settles uh, the mind into some kind of deal for the day, right? It's like, listen, bro, we've done this for you. Let's slow down a little bit. Let's kind of exp- let's expunge these thoughts. So let's just have these thoughts go through, but not apply that way of thinking to the rest of the day or the rest of the way you're going to look at the day and the rest of the way you're going to look at the people in that day and how you're going to face whatever events or whatever challenges or whatever uh, opportunities that you will be to present that day. So, I think it's a nice way to start the day because we always are looking forward to meetings. We kind of prioritize those meetings. We kind of uh, set reminders. But I think this one particular interview, this one particular face-to-face with the mind and the body and the breath uh, is, I think, a good contract or no? It's a good deal uh, to start off the day on. And I uh, I think there's a lot of benefits. I don't know. If those benefits are the same for everyone, but this is what I've felt and I think it's pretty damn fucking amazing. So yeah, just want to share that with you and uh, yeah, my condolences to the parrot and yeah, genuinely feeling bummed out about that. Anyhow, before I go on, I want to talk about today's guest because he's a friend. He's uh, been a friend for many years. In fact, we've been working as comedians together back since 2012, I think, or 13, uh, Azim Banatwala. He's a comedian, he's a writer, he's a podcaster. And on today's episode, we catch up after quite a long time, after the pandemic we haven't met. Uh, and we talk about everything from, well, language and the nature of joke telling, how he's changed, his approach, how the environment in which jokes are received has changed, how how he's learned to look at stand-up from when he started, what the expectations are, how do you navigate those expectations, how do you manage the emotions that come with those expectations, how you kind of look at the ladder of success, how you look at the rewards and how you look at what gives you joy and why you're doing what you're doing. So it's a really nice, fun chat, insightful chat and a... Good conversation with a friend who haven't caught up in a while. So, Azim, if you're listening, I appreciate it. And if you're a fan of Azim's work, I'm sure you'll enjoy this conversation. If you haven't uh, heard Azim's material, he's a very, very good, insightful, funny joke writer. And he's got a very unique way of presenting his jokes. So, do check him out. Azim Banatwala. He's got his clips online. He's got a couple of specials on platforms like Amazon. So, do go check him out. And as always, if you're listening, I mean, of course you're listening. I don't know. If- why I would say something so ridiculous. And for all of you listening, in fact, I appreciate it as always. Thanks for tuning in every week. Till next episode. Goodbye. God bless. Take care of yourselves. Cheers. Lovely to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining me, man. Oh, always a pleasure, Sandeep. We
1: haven't spoken in ages, so might as well use this as an excuse to catch up.
0: Yeah, get some sound bites out of it, you know. Otherwise, <laughs> it's like after two hours, I'm like, hmm, there was some interesting stuff we spoke about,
1: <laughs> and it just we'll wasted. Some reels.
0: <laughs> yeah, wasted on airtel. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, it's uh, been what now ten plus years you've been doing stand up
1: uh yeah i think my my first ever proper like show was with you i think you were hosting at the comedy store that was the first weekend that i did it was i remember it was you me and uh, uh amit Tandon. i think that was the lineup so that was the Must first time
0: 2013 2013 ish
1: yeah i think 2012 2013 yeah that yeah was man
0: it. those days seem a long long time ago but mm. um you know, since then, you've of course, you know, you've been mainly a solo artist, but then you joined the collective uh, doing that particular, you know, that that avenue of, you know, short sketches and these these mm-hmm. things that the internet at that point was really consuming and especially the yeah. Indian audience was really consuming. Um, I want to ask you something which is not really comedy related, but it's something which I, I, I find I've been asking myself uh, over the past few years is um, how how... If, important is it for you to keep a distinction between what you do and who you are? Ooh, interesting. Um,
1: I think it is a a challenge because uh, I I think one of the things that I have struggled with, particularly over like the last few years of the pandemic was uh, I think we had to, all of us uh, as comedians, and I think uh, as most people in like freelance slash creative professions had to sort of pivot to finding different things to to do uh, for life for livelihood, whatever it, uh, you might want to call it. Mm. Um, and I think what I found myself doing is taking a lot of the things that for lack of a word, better word, I was or my personality or my likes and things that I enjoyed doing and try, uh, actively tried to turn those things into work. Right. Uh, so like, for instance, I would I enjoyed playing video games, still do love playing video games. And I, I would keep and I think it's a result of how everything has become content in the world right now. Like, yeah. I hate that word, but just everything is content. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And content can, can... There's just an opportunity all the time. I think that's why we constantly have everyone making a reel, everyone taking a story, everyone taking a selfie of something. Where subconsciously, every moment is content or potential content. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I find uh, for myself as the creator, artist, whatever, I would I would be like, no, I need to take what I'm doing, take my life and turn it into content. Mm. Uh, Which I think for many, like a couple of years, particularly, I would say like 2021, 22, the last like the two years before this, I was fairly unhappy with my life. Mm. Uh, Because I was like, I've just, I have just made who I am uh, work. I mean, just my being and existence now feels like it's an opportunity to be working uh, which i don't think is a sustainable way to to function and exist in life so mm. i think now i've really actively started separating uh what i do is comedy uh, but who i am is a very different person i think uh, you you'll you'll know this about me as well that a lot of comics are very switched on and always comedian and always funny but i have p- tried to always be like our human being uh, off stage and the comedian on stage and I like to keep it that way.
0: Mm. And that's something which is uh, what I went through as well, especially pre-lockdown. I mean, I went through this mm. where, you know, of course, the, the, the being on stage is a lot of the fun but then that sort of spills over and the next thing you know... Um, You know, because for every big or relatively big show you do, whether it's a corporate or a public engagement or a public audience, you have to put in the time at these open mics, at these smaller shows where you put your material to work, right? And a lot of those times, there's no money, there's no um, fanfare. In fact, it's with more comedians. And then I feel when you lose focus of why you're doing comedy, uh, which is to get laughter and to sort of say what you want to say on a stage or to people Mm listening um then the bite the 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 the, the fluff starts filtering into your head you know like why aren't you getting more crowds why aren't you getting the specials on these big platforms and then comedians are great at putting other comedians down right they put this element of Mm -hmm. doubt going oh you could have been as good as this guy if you'd already done it in this language or you could have done it this many times or been on youtube this earlier whatever and i realized um that at that point the 90% of fluff was 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 keeping me more engaged than the 10% of, of i mean yes. the, the the actual joy of performing and it i took that into the lockdown right and then obviously as you just uh, said you know we had to kind of do these things to be i mean we felt we had to stay relevant by doing these things but in the reality of uh looking back actually we could have been absolutely fine just coming i mean you know the yeah. money would have been yeah. good on zoom shows and all that but but You know, there's this need, like I could hear people say, I need to get back on stage because there's this fear I think we have as artists that we're only as good as our last show, right? Um, Or we're going to forget what it means to be that. But in some way, I've kind of let go of that because I think what used to happen towards 2019, 2020 is like a bad joke or a joke not landing or another comedian's joke being funnier, reflect another person's joke being funnier would automatically in my head translate to you're not funny or a joke going bad in my head would be like oh you're a bad person and that's as you said it hurts right it starts it's not a healthy way to live because then you're every day you're so kind of fragile and every show kind of is make or break for you as a person and not just as a career but as an actual functioning human being and that takes a toll yeah so I think that distinction is, is 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 it takes time but it I think is essential yeah. when you I think everyone pace.
1: figures it out at their own sort of pace like mm. uh, particularly for me I was I think I reached a point a year and a half ago where I was like I was actively telling people that you know I'm done with stand up comedy I don't want to do this uh thing anymore and um I think for me it was uh, I would keep giving myself reasons that oh you know I can't I can't talk about the things I want to do because there's censorship from everywhere mm. and I uh, I can't do this uh, uh, thing because I want to do long form comedy and I want to <laughs> do one hour specials but now everyone wants to put out ninety second videos and go viral from that um, but I I think. Eventually, and I sort of realized and processed this was, I think, that me sort of telling myself and others that I want to quit doing stand-up comedy was sort of, in a way, just rationalizing in my head, uh, just uh, not being able to deal with the fact that what I was doing was just different. So, I, in, in, in the sense that uh, I was trying to tell myself that I don't like this, uh, whereas... In actual fact, I I love stand up comedy, but it was just that it had it had just become a little different, a little bit more difficult, and I think my my mind and my body was resisting that that change. And I think we all at some point have to keep evolving. Uh, that and fear, I right? think, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that was that fear for you that um, you've come out of the lockdown a different person and as a result a different comedian, or was that fear that you're not going to be as good as what you were pre-lockdown.
1: Um, I I don't think I ever had fear in terms of myself mm-hmm. uh, being good enough or not good enough. I think I, I have always been confident enough in my ability to get on stage and do a job. Uh, right. But I was I felt fearful of Have I done enough in mm. this lockdown? You know, have <laughs> I have I uh, did I waste this time? By sitting and you know, uh, I spent a lot of my lockdown just doing a lot of things that I had the luxury to do because I was like, okay, I have a a little bit of uh, savings, so I can afford to sort of sit for a few months and just be like, okay, you know what, there's no work, that's fine. Uh, Obviously, first few months of that was terrible, where I was like, oh my god, there's no work, there's no work, there's no work. And then you reach an acceptance of, okay, that this is why you have savings, like this is for exactly these reasons. Um, but after a point, I was just like, this is, uh, uh, sorry, I just, uh, lost my train of thought. Can you? Right. No, no, I
0: I, no. I think that's, that's absolutely, um, terrifying, right? We were talking, we were talking about this, this idea that suddenly, you know, what, yeah. um, mm-hmm. I'm off, I'm off my rhythm, right? I'm not in the, I'm not hitting the road, running all these things. The social conditioning is so strong. Like Mm. when I'm doing this, I've taken, I haven't gotten onto a public stage in a while now. And there's that, suddenly you wake up going, shit, am I letting down um, my creative potential? Am I, you know, am I not Mm. doing what I should be doing? Should I be on stage hitting it? And then I'm like, you know what? Um, This is, in fact, more beneficial right now. These conversations I'm having on the podcast, doing these things. It's, Because, I mean, my inputs for my material is by living a life and not just chasing after every joke. And I feel what you just said about taking time to do what you enjoy, not just gives you a sense of satisfaction and fulfillment in living a life every day, but without you knowing it, it's also feeding that engine that eventually puts out the jokes, right?
1: Yeah. Absolutely. No, and I think I I sort of uh, was getting back to whatever the point that I was actually making. So I I was doing a lot of these things. uh, And I think coming out of the lockdown, my only thing was, you know, did I not do enough in terms of the the alternative things that everyone else was doing the the Mm -hmm. hustle for lack of a better word of, you know, sitting and were so many people who were like sitting and just like live streaming every day and sitting and creating like these entire uh, streaming their video games and playing and make actively collaborating with other artists and like we saw people like Samai who did so much with chess we saw uh, Tanmay who started his own entire uh, streaming situation we saw so many people I mean I started a football show with Neville and Kautuk so Mm -hmm. but I was like was that enough like this small football show I could have done so like there's always the thing of I could have done so much more to get more followers more numbers uh, because eventually it's all over the last few years especially it all became a numbers game uh, yeah. rather than the the game of skill or comedy or art it it really eventually boiled down to every brand manager every artist manager every but agent was like what are your numbers do you have the followers do you have the subscribers yeah. um, if not then it was almost drilled into your head that you're nobody and you can't, I can't sell you with your 50,000 subscribers. You need to have one lakh subscribers for me to even start thinking about selling you. Like these are conversations that we've had and those really were the doubts and regrets that I've had of, uh, because... I've realized that the work we do, the stand-up comedy, as you alluded to as well, the actual stand-up comedy, the fun part of it is a very small amount of doing the shows, the corporate gig or the public gig or the just the performance is a very small aspect, especially these days. Uh, And in this industry, maybe more specifically to India, because now every comedian is required to be a content creator, an influencer, a streamer, Uh, writer uh, everything like you are brand consultant like this is what you know the agencies will expect of you that okay you need to be good at everything so that we can make you money and I think after a point you have to be like do I want to be all those things I mean Mm -hmm. it's perfectly fine to just pick one thing be good at that and stick with it and yes you may not make crazy amounts of money or you may not make money immediately off it. But uh, I think it's about defining what is good enough uh, and just enough for yourself. Uh, and then you can go from there.
0: Do you feel, um, I think that's really well said because the thing is that it's like a, it's, it's, it's really otherwise impossible to keep um, your balance, right? Because there's always a new platform coming out. There's always a new platform, which is, getting people noticed like, uh, you know, remember the early days, everyone's like, are you on Twitter? Oh, you should be on Twitter. Then you should yeah. r- write a funny tweet about the newest topic that's released <laughs> or, you know, the land, the first yeah. punch. And then it's like, Oh, Instagram. And then it became Instagram memes and then reels. And then it became Facebook page. So th- it, it's never ending, yeah, it right? Threads
1: all- yesterday, which is the new <laughs> Twitter. <so laughs> exactly. Full uh, and,
0: uh, it's full circle. Absolutely. And the thing is, uh, do you find uh, because you have been uh, over the past few years, gaming, you've collaborated with Neville uh, for the podcast you've collaborated with your wife for the other one you're doing on audible you do stand up still so um, I'm keen to know um how do you identify what medium uh, works for you I mean is it trial and error or is there something that you're drawn to more um, because you are quite a quite a prolific writer if I'm not mistaken like you've done writing in the past writing projects you've written yeah. for other shows um so w- what um kind of process do you use to select which medium that you're going to express mm. that particular, um, whether it's a football podcast or a travel show for television or OTTs right. or if it's a blog? So how do you kind of uh, go yeah. through that process of selection?
1: Um, I think earlier it was a case of just sort of going where the money was. Mm-hmm. uh that okay somebody needs you to write a script okay now suddenly so you're a writer this month or mm-hmm. somebody uh wants you to create a brand video or a sketch and that is when we were running east india comedy as a sort of a content creation company or a digital solutions company uh, beyond a point mm-hmm. um and uh, that was then i mean we i looked at it sort of as a business now as a more independent uh, artist it's uh, it's a it's a bit easier to make that choice because there's no real pressure to it, especially if it's my own project. Um, I have the luxury to experiment. So with four four two, the football show that I do with uh, Neville and then Kotuk, uh, we added as the third uh, host of the show. Right. Um, it started initially as just a. Uh, Uh, a podcast that we thought would be only audio then we tried it on the eic youtube channel then i was like okay i'm gonna try putting the entire episode on instagram and see how that goes then Mm. i put it on my youtube channel then we decided okay no this thing needs its own youtube channel so Mm. when it's your own thing you have that luxury of like experimentation and seeing where it goes and i think we were lucky to have like a fantastic community that we've built through that uh, podcast that's right Very enthusiastic, and we we built our own sort of over the years. We've built a voice for that podcast, which is uh, which which is nice. Um, But uh, for other things, I think uh, I've accepted. I, I don't think I've ever chosen actively to do things on Instagram or social media. I have accepted that I have to. Uh, right. Which is a thing that I was very averse to earlier. I was like, no, I'm not going to do this uh, reels content and this 90 second. It's all nonsense, and they're just mm-hmm. people dancing on the internet. And I don't want to be. I don't want to start dancing. Uh, <laughs> and I was just. <laughs> I mean, I don't have to dance. I can just do 90 second bits of stand up comedy. Uh, like there have and been I moments where
0: with- I just basically I'm going through this jokes, 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 there's a dance, yeah. there's this RRR thing. Suddenly this mic <laughs> clip pops up and I'm like, who's this boring bastard? Dude? <laughs> like It feels <laughs> like you really have to keep the energy high, but like normal conversation just seems like it's not going to get anyone's attention. And it doesn't when it's so fast, right? Yeah,
1: it's so fast. It's so immemorable, the content yeah. right now. Uh, because you just... Uh, like, in fact, this was just happening like uh, like an hour ago. I was sitting with Sana and again scrolling through my phone and I found this cat video that popped up. Yeah. And I wanted to show it to her. And uh, while I was just showing it to her, my, my finger while showing it on the phone just flicked past uh, the thing and it went into the back button. And now that video is just lost forever. I mean, there's no way of... <laughs> finding that video and I mean that's just how fleeting it is like yeah. you you have it one moment and the next is just gone it's forgotten and you're getting the next sort of hit of dopamine or whatever it is that you're you're trying to get uh, uh stimulation or whatever it is yeah so yeah it's uh i mean i i have a v- very love hate relationship with with social media mostly hate very little love right uh but <laughs> yeah
0: no because it's do you do you feel like I've invested so much by putting together these thoughts into the form in, in the form of a joke and telling those jokes when well, and then suddenly as you said it's it's something which is inconsequential in a way um, kind of overrides the thing or or do you feel like now what's the point of putting it on reels because it's really not even uh, that something that a person takes time to appreciate mm. but it's just like another flick another screen up yeah. um yeah. Mm.
1: I I honestly as I said I've learned to accept it and I I have accepted that reels uh, are I treat it as advertisements right uh, the same way that you would find 10 advertisements in the middle of watching your TV show uh, to tell you about new products I look at every reel that I put out as an advertisement to get people to come to my show yeah uh, and that's really how I look at it I'm not looking at putting out like a lot of people will do the reels of just like very average uh material but just put out really consistently so that they keep because uh, the algorithm rewards uh, i think two things really uh, it, it rewards quality and it, it rewards consistency mm-hmm. so if you don't have quality you can get the same output really through being consistent with average uh, material yeah um and a lot of people do that and that's fine if, if that's the path you want to choose eventually it's about what your end goal is right if your if your end goal is numbers which then will Translate to potentially more brand work or making money that way. That's mm. the approach to take. For me, I, I focus on quality. I will put out maybe a few videos every year, maybe five or six videos. And then I will cut all of that down into 90 second bits and put that on Instagram. And uh, if they work well, which invariably they do, because I tend to like put out good content over there. Uh, mm. So that will generally get shared on on Instagram, on YouTube, might, people might start sharing it on WhatsApp. And that's sort yeah. of where you... that's It converts to real people coming to my shows. And that's, for me, the aim of social media. It's right. an advertisement for my core skill set. So I have a touring show that I... Uh, have the one hour, and I just tour that show, and I write a bunch of new stuff, which is mainly for social media. That's exclusively for that, which I then use to market the main show. So, so you I, do it in those very shows, clear.
0: right? Right. Yeah. So you can chop that up and take it away from the yeah. Okay, nice. That's a nice approach because you have the audience there anyway, and they're on yeah. board with you, and you've got them with your material, which is I'm sure fine tuned if you're doing it regularly. So then yep. you may as well package this new stuff within and get some sound bites or yeah, exactly. video bites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I wanna ask you, um wh- what is um I mean it's it's something which I find each person having a different answer to. I mean, of course, uh, I hope so because everyone has the same answer to this, then <laughs> it's a bit weird. But um what does comedy do for you? Um
1: Yeah. Ah, oh. Mm, well number one i think uh it pays bills which is Im- important <laughs> nice uh and uh, which is the main reason i mean i don't have an, any other monetizable skill set right now that could immediately make me money so number one it makes me money right. um and number two it it gives me it still gives me satisfaction i think i i still enjoy being on stage there will be times where i'll be backstage i have to go up and host a show and i'm just like oh why am i here i could just be sitting at home doing nothing instead mm-hmm. <clears throat> once i get on stage i i enjoy it and uh, particularly i think for me the joy of like writing a new bit and and being excited about it and being like oh okay there's something here and then seeing that bit go from just like this thought that on a piece of paper that you took on stage and then becoming like a seven eight nine ten minute mm-hmm. bit uh for me is still rewarding and i, I enjoy the failure that comes with it earlier Mm. like bombing with new material or anything i would be like oh my god i've bombed and my life is over uh now i embrace the fact that it's not working because i know that it's the first or second or third time i'm trying it it's it's not supposed to work i mean it's uh it's supposed to take its time to develop and uh, become what it's supposed to become so Mm. i i enjoy the process i think for me it's a great uh outlet um it uh I used to look at it and it still is lifestyle wise, not the best career to have in terms of like your health and sleep cycle and travel and this and that. Um, But I think I've learned to uh, work it in a way that allows me the freedom to do everything that I want to do in terms of my life and my health and my workout and routine and all of that, while also doing the shows and making money and all that. I don't take on particularly hectic projects anymore. Mm. Uh, I will still do projects that involve a fair amount of work, but you know, they'll, like stuff that I would do maybe in my twenties where I would be like, okay, you know, there's a three month project where I have to work with a client every day for 12 hours and it'll make me great money and I'll do that. Uh, I don't do that kind of stuff anymore because I'm like, uh, a i I don't think the money, however much that maybe is worth uh not living for that long uh mm. in a sense or not living a fulfilling life uh so it's a trade-off. I think everyone chooses. be like, okay, I will hustle and like you know not live my best life, so to speak, but mm. then make a lot of money and maybe live better later, as opposed to have a consistently decent baseline of life with uh, mm. with a bit less money
0: yeah that's that's interesting i mean because there's it seems never ending right with money especially in and, and yeah. then the, the the chasing of that and the popularity and the fame and you i think you've your, your stance on the popularity and fame i think is you know you've made peace with what you want uh, it for right at the end of the day to get people to come for your show and as a result um thing but what have you kind of because 10 years you know you have these ups and downs you see uh, people coming up after you into the sort of comedy business, then sort of just booming and zooming ahead, and um, mm-hmm. some of it doesn't make sense, right? You just kind of scratch your head, going, you know, what the hell happened? Yeah. But how have you, like, how have you um, approached that, the, the conversation around money and uh, how much is enough? Um, where do I draw the line? And yeah. wh- you know, because you've spoken about the the, the kind of pulling back from the yeah. other aspects of it, like the the schedule, the working with people, and working smarter, working um, to a to a cycle that suits you know what what you you, yeah. you find comfortable yet creatively enjoyable. But this money thing, I think, especially you know from uh, talking to other comedians and spending time around I mean, it seems to always have a way of getting into the cracks and bothering you at some level, yeah. you know
1: uh yeah so the I, I think i've uh got fairly peaceful with that part of my conversation so right now i think as we're speaking when we're recording this it's july so for me like the last like all of july i decided that you know i i worked uh, and toured quite a bit from like april to june and i'm then going to be touring august to like october pretty much so i was like july i'm just gonna take off for just like Downtime, uh, You know, spending time at home, spending time w- with my wife, working mm. on my health, fitness, spending time with cats, whatever you want to do. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think I- I've spent the last sort of 10 days thinking a lot about, you know, this like life and money and introspecting with reading a few things here and there. Um, and have learned and uh, understood a few things about myself so like especially when it comes to like comedy and you know talking about other comedians and what they're making and all of that Um, I think for me it's I've reached the point where I'm very clear that uh, I don't want to know or I don't care uh, what other comedians make it's it's none of my business Uh, like there are groups and you will know you've been a part of these groups and circles where like the entire conversation for an entire evening will be oh did you hear how much this guy got paid for this and how much this guy got paid for this and you know sudden someone signs a deal and suddenly your whatsapp group with comedians is exploding that oh this guy got this money and all that so i mean i have actually uh, on these groups very clearly told people that hey guys listen i i know you guys may like talking about this but Uh, If you want to talk about what money comedians are making, please make another group and talk about it on groups where I'm not there because Mm. I I don't care about this. Mm. Um, I have realized that I'm a very competitive person by nature. Yes, uh, I always want anything I do. I want to win. Yeah so when it comes to sport cricket football whatever it is I want to win like I feel really annoyed if I do not win while I'm playing football I will yeah. shout at my teammates I will throw fit <laughs> about it or I will like why am I not winning Yeah um and I realize that particularly with sport or with anything like it's it's very clear to define what winning is because the rules of the game are defined by the sport, yeah you know that you to win in football you have to score more goals than the opponent and to win in cricket you have to score more runs take more wickets um but when it comes to life and career um who is defining the rules mm. and it it boils down to do you want to let the people around you or the industry or the circumstances define the rules or do you want to define the rules for yourself create because, your own uh, game. A, mm-hmm. yeah so i think there was a great quote that i read that sort of stuck with me it's very very simple quote which is that happiness is just results minus expectation mm. uh, and if you temper your expectations to be realistic to what you can do and what you can achieve uh, the happiness w- is very easy to attain um, nice. so I think I have made my peace with the fact that, uh, even if I do not become that comedian who can sell 2000, 5000 tickets, 10,000 tickets, whatever, even if I am just that guy who sells consistently two, three 400 tickets, mm-hmm. uh, and can do like four or five shows a month with that, that's a great life for me. Uh, yes. It's a it's a life that's better than 99% of the people on this planet, uh, mm-hmm. and it allows me to do whatever else I would want to do with my time. Uh, and for me, just to surpass that, as per the the rules of the game that I have created, is winning. Uh, yeah. So for me, the the idea, the I think the end net goal of life is to say that okay, net I won as per my rules. Uh, And as per the the conditions that I have sort of set myself, um, I see myself in that net positive. Uh, There have been times that I have been like, what am I doing? And my life sucks and I hate everything. As recently as maybe a year or 18 months ago, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe even seven or eight months ago. But I think as I've... uh, just sort of thought about this and maybe a little bit of therapy and introspection and uh, journaling and stuff has helped, uh, but it's helped me process uh, that and sort of make peace with it.
0: And that's such a strange thing that we do, right? Not just comedians, but human beings is, when when it comes to these kind of questions we typically look outside for the answers right we look at other yeah. people's benchmarks we always try yeah. to say you know he or she became this particular success model so let's try to copy yeah. that and apply that to our lives but if we can kind of just look back where we came on this journey ourselves as an individual yeah. it's been pretty f- fantastic right like because if 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 you had told the 2014 um as, uh, you know Azim as a comedian that you're going to consistently sell out 400 seaters and you're going to get to do this how many times you do it um, who knows but we don't have the luxury of going back in time right but yeah. because we all when we started out have watched the Louis C.K. specials of Madison Square Garden or we've seen our you know people who we kind of aspire to be in some way but it's not realistic because their story and our story is very different. I mean, your story, my story is very different. But yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the the beauty of not being able to, you know, write your own story when it comes to the future is great. Because uh, if, if you had wanted what the 2013 com- comedian Nazim would have wanted, it, it probably would have panned out very different. And you might just be like, oh, ah, yeah. I wish I didn't have so much control over life, you know. Yeah,
1: And the things that we wanted at that time also were very small. And I think that's another problem that happens is that, once you've set a target for yourself it's always on to the next target i mean we we leave ourselves very room very little room to just enjoy our achievements for a little yeah. while yeah. uh like earlier i think when we were starting out my entire dream was that you know I need to be able to do a, a weekend at the comedy store because yeah. I will receive 35,000 rupees because which is more than my like monthly salary at my job and I'll buy a phone for myself like that was like yeah. that was the dream I was like oh my god 35,000 rupees will change my life at best that in
0: stand-up was the benchmark yeah yeah. yeah yeah
1: yeah and after that it was always okay now 35,000 is, isn't enough now I have to get a corporate show now I need to make this money and now I need to get an amazon special now I need to do this now I need to do that so after a point, I think up to a certain point that, that, that maybe that hustle or that mentality of chasing things is required yeah. to, a, to a point. But I think beyond a the point, there is, uh, I think, a, a point where like rational amounts ends and greed begins and then we're just going after no i just want more and more and more And, and but what are you going to do with that more i mean you may find very good things to do with it like uh, for me, it's great to be able to just sit on a on a you know just a Saturday afternoon and chat with you because I have nothing else to do and I'm sitting here. But then somebody else might be like, oh, but I could be doing this uh, podcast in a in a mansion that I own as opposed to a rented house. So I mean, it's all perspective. About, as I said, it's about the rules that you set for yourself about what winning and what success is, and that's yeah for you to decide.
0: But you know how much ever you, you know your. You know, you you set for yourself like whatever you want comforts and luxuries. Uh, But even though it might be different yours to mine, to my wife's, to your wife's, all all different individuals. But I feel after a point, um, leave leave the numbers out of it. I think it's a sense of diminishing returns. The the satisfaction isn't as much, right? And that is something which we don't understand until we look back, going, you know, what that thirty five thousand felt so good when it first the first check from the comedy store doing those five shows. And and then you get the the one lakh corporates and and as you get a little bit more, it's it's just not as great as that feeling of the first joke landing. You get the two hours yeah. done, and I I find that something which you can only appreciate in hindsight because when you do get it, you're constantly your your eyes are on the next target, right? The next thing or yeah. what the benchmark has been set by the standard. But I I want to understand uh, from the 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 content, quote unquote, point of view. Hmm. Um, there, was that, there was that amazing feeling of getting that first laugh and, you know, telling those first few jokes we did. Um, yeah. How is your approach to what you want to talk about changed over the past 10 years?
1: Mm, I think it's uh, it's got a bit more personal now in the sense that earlier, I think I used to think more of myself as just a joke writer or a, a person who just has to uh, just... I, I, I looked at myself more as a writer. That set up punchline, set up punchline, clever joke, clever twist, clever callback. Uh, it was just more about me showcasing that. Oh, look at me! I can write jokes well. Yeah. Um, I think uh, a, a lot of that was just due to the the lack of the art form being developed within me. Like I was not particularly early on. I did not have great stage presence. I did. I was not a storyteller. I could not really captivate an audience by like sitting down and just telling them a story for 10 minutes. Mm. Um, and these are things that come with time. Some people figure it out earlier. Some people it takes 10, 15 years. Some people have it immediately, instantly. Like a guy like Zakir was a born natural storyteller. Whereas mm. for me, it would take me like 10 or 15 years to sort of reach to the level he was when uh, he started as a storyteller. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's always... Uh, a, a, a challenge to be like what are you going to talk about next what's yeah. the next thing going to be but uh, I I think I've made the distinction of when I write for the the reels jokes or whatever it tends to be more like topical throwaway stuff yeah uh, whereas the more personal the more real stories uh, I save that for like my live show so the current mm. show that I have it's called minor celebrity where I talk about just like the my experience of just being this in between sort of semi-famous person uh Mm. and it's sort of an hour about that it does have bits here and there which are like news related and stuff like that but the overarching theme of that is is like my life Mm. uh and similarly the next hour that i'm planning is more uh, it's uh, about deeper things it's like about friendship it's about like my relationship with my wife that kind of stuff so I think as you grow older, I think your insights change a little bit. I think you start, uh, you become less, f- like the things you want to talk about become less frivolous and more real. Mm. Uh, just purely through a factor of you having experienced more things and having more insights and, and opinions. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, otherwise, I, I, I've i always enjoyed writing about news. Uh, I think that joke writer in me is always there and I like to keep that part of me sharp. So like if there's something topical that comes up, I'm like, okay, I need to. Uh, that's my job. I need to write like 90 seconds of jokes about this and go on a stage, try it out three or four times, record it and put it out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Whereas for the the live show, the one hour show that I tour that I can take my time and like craft it and hone it over time. And then once you come and watch that, you're like, then you're watching a finished product.
0: Yeah. It's a nice balance that you've developed for yourself, right? That you are keeping that part of your writing skill uh, active because that is and you do it really well. Um, You know, I think you put out some videos recently. But how do you navigate this well, and th- th- this this environment we're in right now, because you you, you from from the day you uh, you know I've seen you on stage, you've spoken about being a Muslim comedian, speaking yeah. about um, your faith, speaking about the religion of Islam. Um, but do you feel that in today's day uh, that you, by any way, uh, any any sort of um, backlash? Are you receiving any? Are you, are, oh, yeah. Do you feel constrained? Uh, do you feel any kind of threat? Uh, for what you talk about or who you are as a an artist
1: um i think there's a there's a constant sort of discomfort attached to to it where i'm like mm-hmm. okay you know there, there's a sense of feeling that if i write this joke there is potential trouble that can come with it and now it's like is the joke worth it uh in a sense like is the trouble worth uh, hmm. what you would get from the the video or or is the opinion worth expressing uh worth the trouble uh so there are a few things that i felt pretty strongly about like the the portrayal of muslims in the in the movie kerala story like for me that was particularly perturbing and i decided that i wanted to talk about that hmm. um got a fair amount of uh, flack for that but I think for for me uh, because of being on like Twitter for a very long time and having a large following over there and Twitter is where most of the well left wing right wing propaganda and hate speech globally yeah. happens so um for me now, it's a, it's a thing of, uh, you know, it's not my first rodeo. I've been through this before. I know what the process is. If, if I've said something, I'll get trolled for three days, uh, and then it, it, I'm back to normal.
0: It just implodes. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think for people who are experiencing for the first time, they really freak out because I, I was talking to somebody who, who had a friend whose some tweet or some joke of theirs was deemed insensitive and there's an organized machinery online that is designated to you know target and attack these people and when the first time it happens to you where you suddenly see that you know as a relative nobody on twitter who might have like you know a few hundred or thousand followers suddenly you see that you're being attacked viciously by like 2000 people like it feels like the entire world is out to get you. But then when you actually step back and you look at it from a more macro POV, it's it's basically 2000 people working for the same organization. So yeah. uh, it doesn't, it's not as big as you think, but they, that's that's how they silence you. That's how they want you to think that, oh my yeah. God, the entire world is against me. <clears throat> so I, I think I've, because of being through the cycle of, me saying something uh, sparking outrage going through that again uh, i've sort of got used to it i am very careful with how i write jokes in the sense that it might potentially see there is offense to be taken by everybody for everything i think yeah. i have done jokes that have upset uh, dj's and doctors and i've got trolled by like entire groups of dj's also so i mean yeah. whatever you say there will be a bunch like i've got trolled by football fans uh, who are arguably worse than the right-wing trolls. Uh,
0: so, I mean, they're bigger um, fanatics for sure. Yeah, of course.
1: Yeah. And uh, they're very vicious people. But it's I, for me, it's like I, I write my jokes in such a way that legally, there's not too much that people would be able to do i mean obviously if they really want to they could find a way and use all these i mean these various acts that are there your sedition acts and the unlawful uh, acts and all of that uapa and all of that um and I mean if that happens, that happens. What what do you do? I mean I don't actively go out searching for controversy. I, I I try to say what I want to say or I try to say what I feel needs to be said when especially when nobody else is saying it. Yeah. Um because yeah. for me at the Yeah. No, go on, sorry. No. Because for me at the end of the day, it's like uh, I did not choose to be born a Muslim, uh, even though I have I very publicly rejected the idea of being a religious person or a Muslim or whatever very, very long ago. Um, but it is an identity that I'm stuck with, uh, for lack of a better word. And uh, just to constantly get like hate for that, irrespective of what you say, eventually, it just boils down to that being the the contention. And as as somebody who we are we've also thought about having a kid maybe in the next year or so and we're like okay, you know do you do you want to have a, a kid who's going to be raised through this kind of like discrimination and stuff like that maybe it's not as big in the big cities as it is uh in like smaller rural areas it is quite significant in in like big cities and big schools and stuff as well like there's like a lot of islamophobia everywhere or and mm. generally like a lot of people who are minorities caste based uh, discrimination there's so much of that yeah. uh, in india so there's a lot of that's cultural always... intolerance
0: and religious intolerance yeah, yeah.
1: that's always been one of my things of do I want to have a kid purely because I mean I do biologically yes but like is it worth it for the kid you
0: know yeah I mean it's a responsible thought process to go through you know because it's just it it, it is what it is you know you can have a a romantic notion of oh no no you know it'll all change and but you know and just similarly to how you feel that identity is whether you like it or not it's and you get hate sadly for it in my case I I'm bound by this thing. How much have I want to dot distance myself from it, but I want to kind of encompass other aspects of who I am. The visual impairment does stick. And, mm. you know, in your case, you get hate for it. In my case, I get pity or I'm an inspiration for no fucking reason. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes I'm just like, um, you know, you talk about these things because it's who you are, but it's not entirely what you uh, yeah. choose to be. Right. Because there's so many complexities that go into making you go to making me. And, and and that's something which I I I feel, um, you know, you're forced to sometimes because as a Muslim comedian, you can't avoid it, right? You, people are like, oh, he doesn't want to talk about it because I mean, screw what they think. But so, did you, did you ever feel that you have to take a certain stance, whether it's pro or anti, or somewhere in the middle? Mm-hmm. What what was that decision cool. like? So, because. I,
1: I, yeah, I think so. For me, especially when I started out, the, a lot of the Muslim jokes was was actually like when you think about like when we started out, comedy was a different government. So all of our jokes at that time, at, which people tend to forget, like all the jokes were uh, anti Congress and anti Rahul Gandhi. I have an entire song which is pro BJP and anti Rahul Gandhi from twenty fourteen, which is me singing uh, with, with a guitar. I
0: think uh, you should just keep that in case.
1: <laughs> yeah, we keep that still. It's still there. <laughs> just pop it up sometimes so, when it
0: gets a little too yeah. much heat. <laughs>
1: And even the Muslim jokes in a way at the time for the time that I did do them uh, was sort of truth to power in a sense where it was that time where like, you know, there were these terrorist groups were rampant everywhere and there was these constant terror attacks happening and all, all of that and at that time it was sort of a way of satirizing that by talking about oh hey i'm a muslim uh, we are like just like i've gone on and said that oh uh, uh, i'm a muslim not not a very good muslim not you're really a follower of islam follower of whatever it gets to get my uh, takes to get my mom to shut up that was my first yeah. joke yeah and there was a joke about me being uh, like me not being a good enough muslim because i'm not a terrorist right. uh, which i mean would kill right now uh, but uh, i don't think it's culturally appropriate to make that joke right now because uh muslims are being oppressed for that stereotype right now yeah uh, which wasn't necessarily the case say 10 years ago
0: it was funny in its time because it was you know i'm sure muslim at that point also would resonate they would laugh you know because it was yeah. the Ahmad, the terrorist being the yes. ventriloquist kind of that time uh, but yeah when it at this point, you're right because what happened in Paris with the with with the, the that teenage um, Charlie yeah. yeah, not that not just that 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 of course, but also recently, oh, you the, this
1: recent one, yeah, okay. yeah,
0: that that the police violence against things. So I'm sure like even black people would like Dave Chappelle has done jokes about black people and being and self deprecating stuff about black people. But now with um, a lot of the violence increasing, I think there is a, so that's the thing that's maybe something. Do you feel a responsibility to represent um, the Muslims in a certain way? Um,
1: not to represent. No, I think I've not, I would say not to represent Muslims, even just to represent our industry, because there's so many things that people happen, that things happen, particularly like, as I said, with the Kerala story or with like, you know, these uh, mob lynchings and this and that, which yeah. um, nobody wants to talk about it because uh, they'll be like, oh, you know, if I talk about this, then brands won't want to come to me and work with me because yeah. I made a pol- like a public political statement or whatever. So I said, for me, it's, uh, I think it comes back to that. What are your rules for life? What are your yeah. uh, rules? For me, it's, uh, and this is something that I guess has come from my parents because my parents have also done like a lot of uh, social work, helping people, et cetera, et cetera. And they've always uh, been the people to speak up when you hear s- or see something wrong being done and so I find it very hard to just silently watch something happening uh, especially if it's uh, to people that I can relate to uh, yeah. in terms yeah. of I can relate to the struggle I, I have been in that situation where I have not uh been able to rent houses because of the the background and the muslim situation and all of that uh so i i can feel that i mean it's it's uh, it's realities you know it's not based off just oh i've heard that this happens and i'm outraged about it it's stuff that i've experienced so that's where that the the need to express that comes from and i feel that it's not expressed enough particularly Mm. within circles of influence like people from Bollywood don't talk about it, people from the comedy scene, apart from, you know, maybe a Kunal Kamra, Varun Grover, maybe one or two others, very few people actually talk about this stuff. Yeah, uh, And if people of influence don't talk about it, then the only people doing the influence is the propaganda machinery. Uh, and that's that's very damaging uh, overall. So that's, yeah. that's the reason I talk, just to be, even if it's just me as the one voice, maybe other people would speak up seeing that. That's sort of the mentality that I go with.
0: Yeah, and it's very bold, right? Because the thing is that these things are, um, you know, people are discouraged to talk about it because it's 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 a story that is being created for the for a future. Which, uh, if 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 there's no other side to the story, then it's a very sad uh, state of freedom uh, that we enjoy. Because then we're kind of just letting a certain thing, and we can easily justify it, right? By saying, no, 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 there's uh, it's 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 been. Uh, completely mis uh, interpreted it's not what happened and it's okay to stay quiet then you're like know, you can say oh yeah yeah you know I knew I knew there's always two sides so I shouldn't jump to the conclusion the next thing you know it's already too late to make your voice heard but yeah. it, it's it's uh, I think essential what what um you're doing right because the, the for anything to have one narrative whether it's with religious uh, a religious story or whether it's a story about disability if if every disabled person's inspiration and it, it's, it's I know it's a very different world, uh, different topic, but mm. you need multiple stories to make any society um, truly, you know, worth evolving. Otherwise, it just becomes very bland and it becomes very scary because then brainwashing and then it just becomes a bunch of people who are just agreeing to a certain idea that is not yeah. even theirs, but it's being sold as theirs.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And I think the the best example of that particularly is actually outside like brainwashing in India show. But the most brainwashed people I feel are the people who live outside India, like the Indian people who live outside, Yeah. particularly like your old NRI uncles are the absolutely the most brainwashed species, I would say, because like, yeah. I actually had this happen in a show that I was doing recently. So it was me and a couple of other comics, we were doing a big sort of auditorium show in Singapore. Uh, And I have a bit where I talk about like political stuff in India. Mm. Uh, And there's one just like Indian uncle living in Singapore just got up in the middle of the show and started shouting and be saying that you are lying about the country and how are you giving this misrepresentation? And I was like, uncle, you live in Singapore. You know, how are you telling me the person who lives in India that I am lying about what's going on? Mm. And the reason is that uh, most of these people abroad uh, like for every uncle in india the main source of news uh, news has always traditionally been the newspaper and the newspaper is written by shall we say at at least reasonably responsible people who cannot just outright put propaganda in the newspaper whereas for the the average nri uncle the news is all coming from whatsapp which is Mm -hmm. just written by Propaganda mouthpieces, copy pasted and then sent across, and it's written very eloquently and with great vocabulary. Oh, very so compelling. Like, oh, it must, yeah. it must be true.
0: The videos uh, are very compelling. You, you feel patriotic. You feel that you're wrong by having a, 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 a an opposing view. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And that's where that sort of comes from. But uh, as I said, it's 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 work to listen to both sides. It's much easier to just listen to what you're being fed and be like, oh, okay,
0: cool. Yeah, and I find that really uh, something, you know, I wouldn't say fascinating, but borderline even, um, you know, this 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 um, ignorance in kind of leaving a certain country, going and living somewhere else, and then blindly following, uh, you know, not not challenging the. I mean, I'm sure this 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 man who said you're lying about uh, how India is being represented wouldn't open his mouth if. There's something done by the Singaporean government because he's terrified, right? But yeah. you know, there's, so I find that weird. Like you're blindly following one thing, you're not challenging. So it's it goes both ways, of course. But I uh, think before we wind up today, um, mm-hmm. you know, clearly all of this, uh, and you you have uh, chosen to do a podcast about this, which is the theme of mental health with your wife. You uh, I think it's called Sentimental. Um, yes. So w- what what was the journey for you, um, and what have you arrived at when it comes to finding? Um, you know, a sense of balance, a sense of uh, um, a place in your mental health. Um, uh, and w- what do you do for that? What what, what is uh, what was the the need, and what was the journey like? Kind of finding a place where you're comfortable, uh, you're, you're you're feeling good about yourself and you're able to get yourself out of these situations when you're either attacked or uh you know ver- verbally kind of put down for who you are or this experience mm-hmm. even being rejected for an apartment it, it hurts on, on a very profound level um so what what are these ways you've developed to kind of cope with these situations
1: i think it's it's still like particularly like the denying of the house and all that for me i was like okay i like when it's happened i've actually just like laughed at the person and left and been like okay you know what else can you do in this situation yeah um i think for me it's it's really a thing of what is under my control and what is not i think that's been my largest sort of uh, mental health thing of can I control the situation? If not, then I can't do anything about it. I'll go about my life. There's no point sitting and like obsessing about it uh, yeah. to no end. Um, I think I found that staying off social media helps tremendously uh, because you just realize that that's not the real world. Uh, you could get uh, shut down on social media. You could get canceled on social media, all of that. But you, your regular life, life remains um and i think that's that's very important to acknowledge and understand that social media is not the real world um and with the trolling and all i mean i have my days where i am just like you know what just fuck this guy uh and like i'll see one thing that will particularly trigger me and then i will i I try as far as possible i my thing is do not engage do not reply uh, because that's what they want yeah uh this this random dude who has four followers that's (laughs) That's the attend. That's the maximum attention anyone's going to give him. But sometimes he'll just say something, or he'll say a word, or he'll say something that just really triggers you, and you're just like, you know, I want to take this guy down. Uh, <laughs> and sometimes I will like a lot of times I'll like I'll be I'll listen, you're just attacking me for with random Muslim slurs. So then I I'll go to their profile, look at their display picture, look at their bio, make a joke about that in reply to them. Uh, but that's when I'm having a bad day. A lot of times I'll just see that uh, process to be like, okay, I don't need to reply to this because he wants me to reply to it. Like, he sent the thing, uh, message with the hope that, oh, I, he's going, like, I don't want to give him the satisfaction of knowing that he's ruined my day, even if he has. Uh, so I, that's sort of my process of try to spend as little time on social media as possible. Like, I, I've unfollowed most people on social media as well. Like, I only follow, like, like actual friends uh, now on social media that too from like a separate like fake account Uh, well not fake account it has my name but it's like a personal account so like my personal life stuff and all I share on that and I keep my main verified account just for like comedy and it's personal and professional so to speak Right. Um, and I found making, maintaining that separation to be nice as well because when a lot of times you do want to share your life and talk, and it, it is nice to share your life and get Updates. a little bit of validation and dopamine. Yeah. Um. But then when it comes to posting that on like my my personal uh, artist page, which is hundred thousand this thing, and then getting randoms coming and you know replying about uh, just say oh your cat is ugly and I'm like yeah. but I don't want to like engage with these people Uh, i just want to be able to post about my cat and have people say nice things about it so i have a separate account for that um but yeah i think staying off social media is the best thing for mental health uh and also i think finding routine yeah Uh, as hard as it is especially for people like us who don't have uh proper jobs i think just finding that uh and you know it's the most cliche advice that all of us as young people have run away from but just waking up early in the morning dude mm. uh it just makes the entire day go so much better
0: absolutely so, man yeah. it, it it gives it gives you some sense of enjoying uh, the day because I thought it was just living for those couple of hours in the night which was a yeah. stage time and then the drinking yeah. after and then you just it's just like this zero to hundred and then the crash again you wake up at twelve and again yeah. you're waiting for that little rush to come your way but it's yeah. such a important uh, thing to, re- to to acknowledge right just waking up in the morning just smelling that fresh air, getting the first rays of sun, oh, it really is amazing what it does for you.
1: Yeah, and this, it's just like the, everything is like calm and just quiet at that time. Yeah. It's before, you know, like, for, I mean, first we don't have, like, we have help who comes in at like 11, 11.30. And yeah. then just like before, like, you know, there's the house descends into that little bit of chaos for two hours. You just yeah. have that now, I think there's a reason why, you know, a lot of like these art art films have these fancy scenes of, uh, you know, a guy wakes up in the morning and he's making his his eggs and the coffee is being poured in in a very nice aesthetic manner and all of that. And it yeah. it actually is calming music playing because that for me that getting up in the morning and making breakfast is a very therapeutic uh, yeah. activity. Like I really enjoy that.
0: It's almost the difference between, and I'm not saying like waking up at 4 a.m. or anything like that, but it's almost yeah, yeah. like when you wake up at like 11 or noon, it's like the rest of the day you're still trying to catch up. But when you wake up at like 7, 6, 7 or 8 even, it's like yeah. you've got some time to face the day on your own terms. And I feel that yeah. gives you so much more poise and ability to kind of take whatever comes your way, right? Whether it's good news, bad news, whether it's it's it's, it's disappointment, whether it's it's, yeah. you know people irritation annoyance and it just feels lovely to have that uh, feeling that you know what i'm able to process what's coming my way as opposed to oh shit there's another thing i have to catch up with there's another thing i have to deal with it just yeah. makes you feel more flustered
1: yeah it's like you like if you wake up late you just launched into the day you're like oh shit i'm up <laughs> now i just have to start doing things as opposed yeah. to like i think if you wake up even by like eight nine in the morning there's, you can just ease into your day or at least Absolutely. with my schedule like i can a lot of people now, same have here. to wake up at seven and go to work so
0: Yeah, no, no, I think that's a great feeling. But, well, before uh, we wind up, I mean, this is the second time saying that, but I'm glad that you're (laughs) at a place uh, emotionally and uh, with your mental health, which is good. But uh, what's in store uh, for people listening who uh, are fans of your work? I'm sure a lot of people will be excited to find out what you're going to do and what's in store, because I think this will come out sometime at the end of July or early August. So what's, uh, yeah, yeah, so if you have uh, your shows coming up, I'd love for you to share that with them.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have a bunch of uh, shows planned. I have a sort of India tour. I, I was t- telling Sandeep before we started recording that uh, there's this one thing uh, that I've wanted to do for like years and kept putting it off. I'm like, no, it's, it's too indulgent to do this and all that. But uh, basically just taking my car and driving across the country and doing shows. So just from doing Bombay. So I'm doing one one of Bombay and all of Gujarat, which is uh, in the start of August. So uh-huh. I'm doing shows there, driving across uh, then I'm doing uh, Bombay, Thane, Pune, Goa, Bangalore uh, leg as well, where I'm driving across. And then the weekdays, I sort of take off and just like go stay in a quiet Airbnb somewhere and just like read and write or whatever. Nice. Um, I think it's a it's a nice change from because when, you, when I do feel that we're just sitting at home, particularly with the lifestyles that we have, you tend to fall into a little bit of a rut. And I think once you're just displaced from that a little bit, I think uh, it kickstarts a little bit of creativity and a little bit of work and even i'm not putting pressure on it even if i just go and i just sit and read a few books for a few days it's something that i wouldn't end up doing at home anywhere because of just so much distraction—the tv the
0: internet and this yeah. and that um, and meet people so, meet people you haven't met that's it yeah, that sounds great yeah, yeah. and you so like driving doing you, you like doing that oh yeah, but, yeah love that <laughs> and um yeah i have a
1: big show in mumbai in september and i'm also coming to london and amsterdam in september on the 17th and 24th to do shows Um, yeah and uh, after that hopefully going to Norway for a week to see if we can catch some northern lights
0: nice northern lights that's yeah that that should be a nice break and just get some Mm -hmm. cold air that sounds great man but it's um, excited for you and um, yeah looking forward to meeting you when you're in town and uh, good luck with everything and great hearing from you and thanks for joining me today
1: Hey, thanks for having me Sandeep always a pleasure
0: cheers bro hey thank you so much for listening to this episode